you want to take the Bible that's in the pew or chair uh, and turn to page 1008, you'll find the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. This chapter, as we've said, is the chapter of faith, spoken of over and over in this great chapter. By God's grace, we are seeking to live out our faith as they lived out their faith. We'll begin reading with verse 17. This picks up from earlier as he had talked about Abraham, verses 8 through 12. And it's likely that as Abraham had seen his and Sarah's bodies as good as dead, yet bear the child Isaac, that this encouraged him as he faced this further trial in offering Isaac up. So after a little interlude in verses 13 through 16, he picks up Abraham again in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, or for in a foreshadowing way, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The next section actually starts then in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer, the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we might see you and see your glory, see your power, see your goodness, all expressed, Lord, in the promises that you lay before us. Give us grace, Lord, to believe your promise to believe every aspect of your promise, to live by promise, Lord, the whole of our lives, that we might bring great glory to your name and that we might live in the greatest possible happiness here and forevermore, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is fascinating to see how much 
belief affects behavior. Uh, James Clear writes that the key to reaching a goal, actually, say an exercise, is not so much to fix your eye on the goal, but to create a new belief about yourself, a new identity. It sounds impossible. I am a person who exercises, right? Do you see yourself as that person? Uh, That's who you are. That's what you do. Uh, Among other things, he encourages this, the common strategy you've heard many times to do anything if you just start two minutes a day, whether it's exercise, reading a book, organizing a closet. Uh, If you do it that way for a month, just two minutes a day, then it begins to be a part of you and it really can change what you think you're capable of. You, You might even form, not only form a new habit, but have a new identity for yourself. That's the point, at least, of creating a new way to see yourself so that you can live out your life in new ways. What's interesting about our passage is that the identity of these people is bound up in their relationship with God. And it can't be separated from their relationship with God. The Bible teaches that God comes to mankind with unfathomable promises in his mighty hands unimaginable promises to do us good. And these people believed into those promises. They lived by those promises. They defined themselves not by who and what they were, but by who and what God is and by what God had promised them. God's promise created a new reality for them. And they lived in that reality. That even was invisible many times, as even it says in this passage. So it's a promise of God's reality, not their limitations. Their horizons are established by God's goodness. Their possibilities are tied to God's promises to them. They live by the promise of God. <clears throat> and the question we have before us, are you living By the promises of God. Are the promises of God establishing your horizons and your possibilities as a human being? This is not Joel Osteen, by the way. Uh, You may sound like... Hopefully we're rooting this in scripture and uh, not just making up stuff. So, the promise, as you see here, of the covenant which deals with Abraham and the fathers through Joseph there, 17 through 22. And then we'll look at the promise of the reward, which focuses on Moses. And then the promise of God's power and presence, which focuses on the events that uh, have to do with the Exodus, right? The, the, the Passover and then the, the succeeding events. So they're grouped this way of the patriarchs, Moses, and then the leaving of Egypt. So first, the, the promise of the covenant. The writer recalls here in verse 17, the remarkable faith of Abraham when God commanded him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, who alone, on whom alone all the future blessings rested. This was the whole reason that Abraham had left his people and left his former land because God promised 
I will give you a land. I will create a people out of you. And this people will be a blessing to the whole earth. So to surrender Isaac is to surrender his whole future. And really to surrender the whole future blessing of mankind. Really. (laughs) The whole future blessing of mankind. In sacrificing Isaac. And yet it says he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. Probably because he had seen two dead people (laughs) produce the child in the first place. This encouraged him. If he can do that, he can raise Isaac, even if he is put to death. But you see, in the face of death, the promise of God was stronger than death. Created a new horizon, a new possibility. Beyond the death of Isaac, there can be resurrection and the promise will be fulfilled. Death can't stand in the way of this promise. And then in the verses that follow, when Isaac blesses Jacob and Esau, and then when uh, Jacob blesses the children of Joseph, the blessings are based on the covenant promises. There's nothing to bless them with except covenant promises. And so they're taking this commitment of God to do them good, and they're pronouncing this good upon their children. It shows their belief. They didn't know the future. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how these things would be laid out. But they believed the promise and they pronounced blessing upon their children. It's what we do when we pronounce the assurance of salvation. We pronounce final benediction. We, by God's grace, live under blessing. It's the blessing of God's constant promise to do us good. And then Joseph with no physical evidence to his, to his sight that they would ever escape Egypt. Here, all the people of God had come down to Egypt through this famine and all this long story. And, but before he died, Joseph said, when you all go back to Canaan, and somebody might say, you know, why do you think we're going back to Canaan? How's that going to happen? He said, when you go back to Canaan, do not leave my bones here. You take my bones and you bury them in Canaan. Talk about believing in the covenant promise and banking everything upon that promise. Well, that was then. What about now? You can imagine how important these things would be to the Hebrews that he's writing to that are facing persecution, loss of property and death. To hear of Abraham believing in a future resurrection in the face of death. So that their trust in his resurrection could help them. That if we lose everything, we lose nothing in the end. Because God is the one who raises from the dead. But then what about us? What about our covenant promises? I want to take just one from Abraham that I mentioned earlier. That the people of God would be the blessing to the whole earth. And the way the promise looks now is that through Christ and through those who believe in Christ, the nations of the earth will be blessed. Are you believing that promise, that covenant promise? How does that covenant promise govern your life every day? That you are here by God's grace in Christ 
to bring blessing to the nations. Have we thought about it this week? Does it affect how I treat my neighbors? Does it affect how I regard them and how I serve them and how I seek to meet them? Do I believe, Lord, I am prepared, equipped by your spirit, called by you to be a blessing to the nations? They were believing this in the face, Abraham, in the face of death. Will we believe that in the face of fear? Or in the face of our little, you know, self attachment and self glory and pride that my time is my time. It's not your time, God. Do we believe that he has our happiness in mind when he commands us to pour ourselves out for others? Do we believe in the goodness and promise of God? Well, God's promise that you are to be a blessing to the nations create a new horizon for you. A new possibility of even how you will live your life. So, living out the promise of God. The promise of the covenant. But there's then the promise of the reward. And this brings us to Moses. It's interesting how this section begins and ends with action against fear. The parents were not afraid of the king's edict, verse 23. And then toward the end, verse 27, Moses was not afraid of the anger of the king. Now, you may remember the story. He did leave because he was afraid of getting uh, killed by the king. But this is a statement that indicates even in that he overcame his fear and he entrusted himself to God as he fled. He gave himself up to the will of God. And that's why later he was so greatly used of God. And when it says, it may be odd here, saw that the child was beautiful. Really, the word is that there was, he was wonderful. There was something about him, apparently in the very way he looked, that told them it's worth hazarding your life for this child. It's worth hazarding life. And they did hazard their life. Because they could have, would have been put to death had they been found out. But in, in spite of that fear, his parents and Moses acted uh, for God's glory. And then especially Moses. Here he had everything at his feet. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refusing that. Refusing the treasures. Notice fleeting pleasures of sin. This is a the theme in Jewish writing. The fleeting pleasures of it. Yes, there are pleasures, but they don't last at all. And if you live for them, you will uh, fall with them. You're holding on to a ship that is sinking if you're going to live uh, against God's will for the things of this world. But notice, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of, of Egypt. Because he was looking to the reward. Now, this word reproach is used a lot in the Psalms of bearing the reproach of God for, uh, because suffering for God, suffering along with God's people. It's interesting that this is used earlier in chapter 10 when it talks about the people of God 
exposed to reproach and affliction even as they associated themselves with their brothers and sisters that were in prison. So associating with them and then bearing reproach and rejection and the loss of property because of loving God's people. But it's because of of Moses being like Christ that it says the reproach of Christ. Because Christ, in the most glorious way, the Son of God, second person in the Trinity, took upon himself flesh, identified with all of our sin and bore our wrath and bore the anger and reproach and evil of the Roman Empire and the Jews, stood there and bore our reproach. And so did Moses. But what's <laughs> what just grips me about this is he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. The reproach was treasure to him. And it made this treasure look like no treasure. You look at this treasure and you think, oh, turn your nose up at it. All the wealth and power and majesty and glory of Egypt. And Moses just shrugs his shoulder at it and gladly embraces the reproach of Christ. How, how, could, I, how could I treasure Christ like that? And yet that's what God does in the new covenant with us. He says actually in Jeremiah 32, I will put my fear in you. This Jeremiah 31 and 32 where he talks a lot about the new covenant. What he's going to do in this covenant that we're in. And that's a central wonderful promise to me. I will put the fear of God in your heart. This means that he will put an awe in our hearts for God, a wonder and an amazement so that he will be a treasure to us that far outweighs any other treasure in this world so that we can live out this same kind of faith that Moses lived out. But you see, the reason he could do that, he was looking to the reward And this takes us back to the central verse of chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And the only other time this word is used in this chapter is right here with Moses. It's the chief example of it. You must believe that he is a rewarder. And in that reward is the treasure to which you give yourself. You don't even see the reward. He didn't see the reward. One part of his reward would be the deliverance of God's people, but he hadn't seen it yet. And the rest of this is, the rest of the reward is the the final reward of God and the blessing of living with him forever. But that is, that is the reason, that is the only way that ultimately we see the treasure Uh, uh, bearing the reproach of Christ as being this treasure for which we could lose everything. And so Paul talks like this at the end of 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where he says, this momentary light affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory. Look at the description. 
temporary, light. It's working for us a weight of glory forever. There's that idea, bearing the reproach, which in the end is nothing compared to the glory and beauty that we are to receive in Christ. So we have that ultimate Goal of the ultimate reward of the new heavens and the new earth. We have what they didn't, couldn't see. We know Christ has been raised from the dead. We know we're going to be raised from the dead. We know we're going to receive these new bodies. We know something of the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, that this whole world is going to be remade and we're going to dwell in the presence of God forever and ever in it. And so if God calls you to lose something, to lose anything, whether it's small in terms of your own, the things you have to give up to love your husband or your wife better, or larger things in terms of society's persecution, all loss is in the framework of ultimate unimaginable gain. And here's the thing, God never ever calls us to give up anything for nothing. It's embarrassing, as C.S. Lewis says, the embarrassing promises of God. Embarrassing because it, it, it means that we can't ever have a martyr's complex. We can't ever say, oh, look at everything I've lost for Jesus. You did lose nothing. You, you only gain, you only are enriched as you give up whatever you might for Christ. Even in persecution, even in bearing the reproach of Christ, this is a treasure compared to losing Christ. And then on an even more personal level to ask ourselves, do we believe in the reward of living for him now, the, the reward, as Jesus would say, that as you live out love, uh, you will know my joy and your joy will be full. As you submit yourself to me, Jesus said, I will give you rest for your soul as you take my yoke upon you. Do we believe in every act of obedience is the pursuit at the same time of the greatest happiness we can have as human beings? To, to submit to this good God who always gives good commands. Do you believe in the reward of studying his word? The reward of meditating in the word. Where he promises you will be like a tree planted by streams of living water. And you will bear rich fruit. And in whatever you do you will prosper. Do you believe? that reward or not. God will give you grace to believe it. Okay? Even if you say, no, I really don't. And my life proves it. Because I give hardly any time. Especially compared to this and this and this and this and this and this. At the best, it gets a little left over every month. That doesn't have to be your life. You could believe the reward of God. You could believe that the reward of prayer, the reward of love, the reward of sacrifice, the reward of giving your wealth up to God to be a part of his kingdom and a part of his mission in this world. 
believe in the reward of giving yourself away to neighbors or even to people in the church when you're scared to death to meet someone. Believe in the reward. So faith in his covenant promise, faith in his reward. And of course, these are all tied together. You can't really pull them apart. But just to single out the promise then of his presence and power as he says here in verses 28 through 31. And and as I've said, these surround the leaving of Egypt, the Passover. They believed that if we sprinkle this blood on the doorpost, we will be saved from this death angel. They'd never seen a death angel, but God said the death angel's coming and every household that doesn't have this blood will lose the firstborn. They believed that promise. They believed that word and they acted on that word. They crossed the Red Sea. Had they seen anything like this ever? Of course not. And when it was open before them, even though they, and, uh, they cried out in fear and in some unbelief before that, when it opened up, they still had to act in faith to walk between uh, the, the waters, which they did. And so by faith, they believed in the presence and the power of God. Who would have thought marching around a city seven times, seven days, that's going to bring the walls down? That's what God told us to do. We're going to believe his promise and see him act. And Rahab, how, how, who are these people? Why should she believe that these are the people that are going to take this land when she was in a secure city? But she trusted. She, it, this is one of the most amazing acts of faith in the Old Testament that this woman, singular among her people, had heard about this God and heard what he, had, he did. And she believed in him. And she put her trust in him and cast her net with them. And that's why she didn't die with all the rest of them. Do you and I, by God's grace, are we believing in the power and presence of God in our life? The power and presence of God for us primarily, well, in one, in one central way, it deals with the change that he's bringing about in our life. He, he declares that we're being transformed into the image of Christ. He declares that he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He declares that the work he's begun in us, he will continue to the day of Christ Jesus He declares that from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He speaks of the spirit that is changing us from the inside out. We could speak of hundreds of promises. I want to encourage you that everything Jesus accomplished, everything he promises in Old and New Testament is all gathered up for you to say, believe these promises, especially the the promise of in this final instance of the presence and power of God in your life to change you, to, to change you, your, your motives, to change your desires, to change you from a person who sits in worship and just kind of goes through the motion to a person who sits in worship and you can't believe you got to be there. Some of that's up here and some of that's here. A lot of it's right here. A lot of it's right here. It's a matter of God working in your heart and a matter of you seeing 
beauty and glory of Jesus, of you coming with eagerness and relishing the truth of Christ, sung and confessed and proclaimed and living it out in your life. The power of God to make you a completely different person and to continue to work in you and continue to work in you so that you'll be a person who really eagerly looks forward to reading the word every day. Do you believe in the power of God, the presence of God to do that? Or have you just kind of given up on that? The power and presence of God to be what some would call a prayer warrior? Do you think that that's just a spotted few here and there? Or, or is that to be the mark of, of believers? It's said of them in the New Testament, they're the ones who call upon Christ. So... I hope that your horizons will be enlarged to see the covenant promise of God, to see the reward of God, to see the power and presence of God, to trust him, to believe that he is for you. He comes, as I began, with this bundle. I've tried what illustrations, train load or that goes on forever or endless bundle that, you know, that he just done. But he comes to you with promise. In fact, it says in 2 Peter 1 that that's how you lay hold of him. You lay hold of him by promise. Will you do so for your benefit and the, and the good of this world? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, bless us as we seek to believe in you, seek to enter more fully in all that you have given yourself to be for us. Lord, forgive us that we doubt you. Forgive us that we despise your promise. Even as Israel despised the land and would not enter it, even though you had promised the land, they despised your salvation. Lord, forgive us for despising your salvation. Forgive us for despising and not believing that you will really make us into different people so that we can be different with our neighbors. We can be a different husband. I can be a different wife, a different child, a different brother and sister, a different worshiper, someone different in regard to the word or prayer. Oh, Lord, enable us not to despise your promise, but to believe your promise. Lord, we can't believe apart from you. We are by nature unbelievers. It is a miracle of your spirit, Lord, to sustain, to to grant faith and then to sustain faith. And so we cry out in helplessness, Lord. This isn't pulling up ourselves by our bootstraps, Lord. We acknowledge you must save us. You must give us this faith. Oh, Lord, grant it for your glory and honor. Amen.